0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So we have been focusing on this reality of hope and celebrating Advent together that, that hope is, is born. And for those of you who were here last week, you were able to see an artist who was with us, her name was Amanda, in real time as the service went on, she painted, she painted this as Matt was talking about Advent. And for those of you who were here, it was so rich to just see this begin to take shape. And this morning as we progress on in this incredible study, this incredible time as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're now gonna focus on Mary. She's the next one in the story that we look at and so with that being said, we're just gonna dive right on in and I'm gonna ask you a question. When you think of Mary, what do you think about? When you think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, what thoughts come to mind about her? Because right out of the gate, we wanna avoid very deliberately two extremes that we can go to with Mary when we think about her life. The first is we want to avoid the extreme of worshiping her. Mary is not an object of worship, she is an example of worship. We don't pray to Mary, she's an example of, of prayer and Mary, Mary wasn't sinless in the very chapter we're looking at later on when she sings about what God has done for her as we're gonna see here in just a little bit in this passage we're in this morning. She declares her need for a savior and, and so it goes. But sometimes folks can end up worshiping Mary and that's not what we're about at all. However, on the other hand of things, we wanna avoid the extreme of ignoring her. And the reason I asked you what do you think about when you think of Mary Part of the agenda behind that was, do you think of her as an incredible example of faith? Because she is. She is one of the most profound, compelling examples of faith that you will find in the New Testament, if not the Bible. She is an incredible example of faith. And you know, we think about what happens in this story, what happened 2,000 years ago, as we read these events together in just a minute. Mary had to believe before she could conceive. What would have happened if Mary would not have believed what is that we're about to look at? I mean, as you think about that, she is an incredible example of faith and she really helps us see what faith is all about. And there's a lot of different dimensions to faith, but one of the simplest ways we could define faith would be believing that whatever God says can absolutely be trusted. And that's what we see in her life. What does it mean to believe? What does faith look like? That's exactly where we're gonna go this morning. So we return once again to the Christmas story. Let me read this to you, and then we're gonna walk our way through it. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And some translations say, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So let's begin to work our way through this amazing story and one thing we wanna establish right out of the gate as we think about faith, you'll hear people talk about blind faith. But faith really, at its core, is always reasonable and it's always rational and we're gonna see this in Mary's example. And as we do so, let me ask you a question. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe angels exist? Well, let's, let's get some of our presuppositions on the table as Jesus followers. If you worship the one true God, if you believe the Bible is God's word, then yes, angels are real, very much so. You ever talked with one? I know people who have had visions of of angels. I've never talked to someone who has had a dialogue with an angel like Mary has, and obviously these are extraordinary circumstances and they're exceptional to be sure. But if an angel were to appear to you, were to appear to me, and one never has to me, at least to this point, but if an angel were to appear to you and me, how would you respond? Wouldn't the first thoughts through your mind be, what in the world is happening here? Am I, is this real? Am I, am I seeing something? Can I trust my eyes? When it says that Mary wondered, that word in the original language actually means she took an audit. It means to audit something. It means to sequentially go through your mind the list of options that this could feasibly be. And surely one of those options was, what am I seeing, is this really happening? Is this for real? Am I hallucinating? Did I eat some bad pizza? Okay, they didn't have pizza back then, but you can get an idea of what's going on in her mind. Wouldn't you respond the same way? And it says she was greatly troubled. Again, in the original language, this word means she was distressed. What, is, what does all this mean? I mean you can just hear the wheels turning and you can, you can see and feel viscerally just how overwhelmed she must be and this is kind of amusing to me. It says she was greatly troubled at his words and what kind of greeting this might be and we'll, we'll do more business with the reality of his words but she's troubled by the kind of greeting so she's talked to angels before? And the last angel she talked to gave her a different greeting. I don't think that's what it means, but do angels have different greetings? Was he expecting her to say, hark, Mary, you art blessed? Okay, they talked like that in the 16th century, but not the first century. Okay, so probably not like that. Hey, Mary, what's happening? Is that how angels go? Who knows? But her mind is furiously trying to figure out what's going on. Isn't that what you would be doing? And it says here, the angel tells her do not be afraid because Old Testament to New Testament, what you see over and over again is when an angel appears to someone, when God himself appears to someone, people are so overwhelmed by the splendor and the majesty and the presence, they involuntarily fall on their face out of fear. And you see this over and over again. We'll see it in just a little bit with Zachariah. When an angel appears to him and announces the, birth, the coming birth of John the Baptist, he's overwhelmed with fear. This is, this is a very understandable response. And I would submit to you that if an angel appeared to you and me and dialogued with us, we'd probably be afraid too. This all really does make sense. And it's not just who is saying this, it's what is being said. What is actually being said here? Let's look at this. She is told that she is to name the baby Jesus. Now, in our culture and in theirs, the parents chose the names of their kids. And so the fact that she would be told who her baby is to be named is, is significant, it's extraordinary. But also, though, even more extraordinary is what this name means. It means the Lord saves. At its essence, it means savior. That in itself is unbelievable. For those of you who were here last week when Matt Matt preached that amazing sermon and gave us the lead up, Old Testament to New, of what is happening here, the people had been longing and waiting for this Savior. Mary would have absolutely known the significance of this name and what it meant. And now she's being told, yeah, the Savior's coming to you first. Jesus is coming to you first. You're gonna be his mom. Seriously? Seriously? He's son of the most high, that's a name for God, and the son of God. He will inherit the throne of his father, David. This is reaching all the way back into the Old Testament, almost 1500 years to 1 Samuel chapter seven where David was promised that he would forever have a descendant on the throne of David, on his throne. There would always be a descendant of David who would rule over Israel. And then in 722, the Assyrians came through, the first world major superpower, and they completely displaced the Jews. The line of kings was broken, and then the line of kings was finally broken fully in 586 when the Babylonians came down and then captured Jerusalem, and the people were dispersed. So the line of kings had been broken for over 1,000 years. The people had been scattered for over 1,000 years, and yet now, all the promises of 1 Samuel 7 come to a head in this dialogue with the angel. This, this is the one who would rule forever on the throne of David, and his kingdom will never end. What is God's kingdom? We talk about it a lot. Scripture talks about it a lot. What what does it realistically mean? And this is a working definition that we've, we've put in front of you before. It says this, The kingdom of God is the Lord's mission to rescue and renew his sin-marred creation, establishing his rule, defeating the human and angelic evil powers, bringing order to all relationships, restoring shalom, the way things were always intended to be before sin, enacting justice, and being worshiped as both Messiah and Lord. The kingdom of God is here, and it's still coming. And it reaches its full conclusion when Jesus comes back a second time and completes the fulfillment of his kingdom. But this basically is summarizing all the Old Testament promises that have been given to the people. And again, as Matt helped us see last week, the people were longing for this, they're waiting for this, and now Mary is being told this in this real quick dialogue as an angel. And so she has questions and so would I, and so would you. In fact, it's remarkable, she had the presence of mind to even ask these questions, but the first question is, how's this gonna work? And in some translations it says, because I've never known a man. And where that comes from is this reality, that there is a type of knowing that is the most intimate, highest level of knowing that you can have with someone else. And interestingly, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 17, verse three, Jesus himself says, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus, and his son who you have sent. That same word for know in John 17 is the same word that is used here. This is the deepest level of intimacy, and she's basically saying, I don't have a husband. How am I, how am I gonna get pregnant? and he tells her the holy spirit is going to overshadow her and how does she respond i am the lord's servant it is a remarkable remarkable statement of faith one of the most profound statements of faith you'll see in all scripture because she basically says okay okay yes i'm in And this attitude, this inclination of her heart that she shows is submission and obedience. Now think about this for me, with me rather, for a second. Are all her questions answered? No, certainly not. Does she know how it's all gonna work out? No, she doesn't. So did she get all the information that she wanted and needed? No, but she's in. God asks her to trust and obey, and she says, I'm in. And this is something that we need to do a little business with here. We have this mentality, we have this false perception that submission is an act of weakness. Counterintuitively, nothing could be further from the truth. Submission is always done from a position of strength. Submission is never passive. It is always, always active, and submission is one of the highest acts of courage and trust that we can exercise Because, listen carefully, it is voluntary. Biblical submission is always voluntary. And that is so incredibly profound. And our greatest example of this is Jesus. In Matthew 26, the last night of his life here on earth before he was to go to the cross and his death and his burial and then his resurrection, In Matthew 26, we see this beautiful picture of the Father and Son collaborating together. As Matt rightfully said last week, this was not divine child abuse. Jesus was not a victim, he was a willing participant in the plan and purposes of the Father and they were together wrestling with this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gives him his desires, Father, if there's any other way, he asks for what he wants, he gives him his feelings, but then, then he gives him his trust and says, your will be done. and he chose to do that. And if we look at the reality of what this means in our relationships for those of us who know and love Jesus Christ as a community, in Ephesians chapter four, Paul is deliberately talking about the different groups of people represented in the community and before he gives specifics to all of them, what precedes that in Ephesians 4.21 is this, submit to one another. We submit to God and we submit to one another. And so what does this look like? Okay. Be generous to others. No, I don't want to. Serve others. Eh, no. Give people the benefit of the doubt. No. Uh Uh-uh. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Eh, have you seen the other guy? No. Husbands love your wives. Yeah, don't feel like it. Wives love your husbands. No, don't don't want to. Avoid any hint of sexual immorality. No, seriously. Take up your cross and follow me. Mmm. I, I don't know. Forgive as you have been forgiven. No one does that. I'm not going to. all ways that we submit to one another and we submit to God. And very fascinatingly, as Luke is writing this for us, he's very deliberately giving us a compare and contrast between Zachariah and Mary and how they respond to what Gabriel says to both of them. So we're gonna jump back because there's a little method to our madness. We're not only looking at this deliberate contrast in how Zechariah and Mary respond, we're also setting the table for where we're gonna go next week. So here we go. Let's jump back in the chapter. This is talking about Zechariah. An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Okay? But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord." He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born, and we'll see that happen next week. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, so let's, let's wrestle with this for a minute. Angel Gabriel appears to Mary, appears to Zachariah, announcing incredible news to both. Mary asks multiple questions, Zachariah asks one. Mary is blessed, and Zachariah loses his ability to speak and is disciplined. How does that work? Does one ask better questions than the other? Were Mary's questions reasonable and Zechariah's not? Or maybe Gabriel was grumpy. I mean, maybe when he came to Zechariah, he was in a bad mood. And then he cheered up when he appeared later to Mary. Maybe that's it. And why is it that Mary's asking information and Zechariah's asking for confirmation and Zechariah is the one who gets rebuked? Well, actually... These very passages tell us what's going on here and what the difference is and it relates fundamentally to how we understand faith. It tells us, we just read it, that Zachariah did not believe what Gabriel said. We'll see next week in the passage that we'll look at together with Elizabeth and Mary that Mary did believe and that's the difference It wasn't the questions they asked. It wasn't because Gabriel was grumpy. The heart of the matter was a matter of the heart. One believed and one didn't. And I think there's something instructive for us. Because you see, so often, when we're struggling with belief, it's not necessarily because we don't have enough information, although sometimes that is true, and it isn't necessarily because we don't understand because most of the time we do. Not believing isn't a lack of something. Unbelieving, disbelieving, like Zechariah did, was because there was a presence of something. You see, some of you, like me, know what God wants you to do. You know how he wants you to trust him. You know how he wants you to obey him. You know how he wants you to believe him, but you don't. At the end of the day, it's not because you lack information. It's not because you lack confirmation. It's not because his word and his Holy Spirit haven't spoken very, very clearly to you and me. It's about control. It's because you don't want to obey and trust him. And we all do battle with that. And one of the incredible examples of Zachariah is he is an amazing example of faith. But here he doesn't believe when he should and can because he chooses not to. And as we see from his story if you'll read what follows what we just read he repents. As soon as John is born, he names him John and he praises he praises God but this begs the question of you and me. In your life right now, how is God asking you to believe him? And will you? And if not, why not? And there's some of you who are watching and listening to this, who you know, you know that Jesus is who he said he was that God's word not only makes sense to you, but it's compelling you to cross over from what the Bible says is death to life by receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you haven't done it. And you know that you want to and need to, but you haven't. And I was there in my spiritual journey at one point for a pretty long season myself. But there's a defining moment where you can and need to trust and believe and obey God and we see this incredible response from Mary. May your word to me be fulfilled. You see, at the heart of it, faith, belief is always responsive and it's always trusting which again begs another question. Does Mary really know what she's signing up for with this? Some of you come from an honor-shame culture. Most of us don't, I don't. But I've talked to those of you who do and I've read quite a bit about it. And if you live in an honor-shame culture like this was, what keeps you up at night isn't if you can pay your bills or you know, the other stresses that many of us would relate to. No, what keeps you up at night is that you would do anything to bring shame upon your village, your community, your family, or yourself. And with what the angel has just announced to Mary, and what she's now gonna sign on for in the eyes of everybody around her, including her husband, she's done all those things. In our day and age, not really a big deal, especially in our culture, for there to be an unwed pregnant woman. In this culture, it was an enormous deal And it would bring shame not only on yourself, but your family, your village, your community. And this is what Mary's signing up for. And she could lose her life for it. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 20, it says that adulterers were to be stoned, both the man and the woman. And people would assume that there had been some adultery here, or rather, she and Joseph hadn't waited and they had had sex and so he was culpable so they both could have been stoned. At the very least, Mary could have been stoned. At the very least, she would have been divorced by Joseph which we know in reading Matthew's account of this he was thinking about. But even in the divorcing her, he would be taking her shame upon himself. People would always look at him and always think that he was the one who had actually made her pregnant. But it was the only way that he could reasonably find a way out of this until the angel appeared to him and told him what was happening and what was really going on. But regardless, Mary was signing up for a life of humiliation and shame. She would be a marked woman the rest of her life because she was obeying and trusting God. And what did she say? Okay. I'm in. It is a remarkable example of faith. And too often, we can look at the Marys of Scripture or the Zacharias of Scripture or the other amazing examples we have of faith and disconnect from them and think to ourselves, I could never be like that. I can't have faith like that. That's amazing, and it is amazing, but I can't have amazing faith. Well, hold on a minute. How was Mary able to do that? How is Mary able to trust and obey God when it would cost her significantly? And sometimes when we trust and obey God, it does cost us to do so for sure. And I don't think there's necessarily a magic bullet or secret sauce in this, but I do think there's something that's very compelling and very significant, and it's in the story that we read. It says that the angel came to her, he said, you who are highly favored. Well, my friends, that is a synonym for blessed. You who are so incredibly blessed. And in our culture, and even in sometimes our our Christian circles, blessed is so diluted, and we really lose the understanding of what it means to be blessed. The whole idea of being blessed is that at its essence, God has done something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And have you been blessed? Have any of us been blessed? Did you hear what Matt talked about last week? The reality of the kingdom of God and the plan of God and this God seeing us in our brokenness and selfishness and sin rather than turning his back on us instead gives his life for us to rescue us from that. You don't have to do anything to be saved except to respond. You can be saved from your brokenness. This is one of the many places that declares this. In Timothy 4.10, it says that God is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You do not have to live in a life of selfishness and self-focus. You do not have to settle for brokenness. Stop believing the lie that this life is all that there is. Because in fact, if you have not responded to Jesus' incredibly gracious offer to bless you with his presence and his power and his promises, you will settle for so far less than what you can have. In fact, what scripture says over and over again is even though you are alive, you're actually dead you're dead. The life that God wants to give you and me is a life that is so incredible, it is a life willing, that you would be willing to pay the cost for. To have the blessing of God is so incredible and so amazing That when he asks you to do things that don't make sense to you, that seem too difficult for you to do, that seem like it's impossible to trust and obey him, he gives you the power and ability to actually do that and it's always worth it. It is always worth it to trust and obey God. Maybe not in the moment, but in the blessing that will come to you. And too many of you are living a dead life right now you have bought into the lie that this is all there is. Do you realize that because of the promises of Jesus Christ, because he's real, because his promises are real, because he always does what he says he will do, no matter how bad and broken and hard this life is, it will get better. And no matter how good and fantastic and wonderful this life is, it will get better. Why was Mary able to trust and obey God when it had such a high cost for her, when it had to be so incredibly difficult, when she had to be afraid, when she had to have so many unanswered questions, when she had an uncertain future with what would people think and what is this gonna mean for me and is this really gonna be worth it? How was she able to say, I'm your servant, may it be as you have said, I think in no small part it's because she knew and recognized she had been graced. She had been blessed. Mary could trust and obey God even when it cost her, even with the uncertainty of her future, even with the fears that she was probably doing battle with because ultimately it would be worth it. and because she had the power and the promises and the presence of God. And my friends, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the same thing. You have the power of God, you have the presence of God, you have the promises of a God who always does what He says He will do. You can have a faith just like Mary's, just like Zacharias. And when you have a moment of unbelief like Zachariah did, there's forgiveness and redemption and the ability to move forward in the face of that. Communion reminds us of all these realities. And that's why I'm so excited that we get to share in communion here today. For those of you who are listening or watching online, If you haven't already, find whatever you can in order to celebrate communion. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward. I'm gonna invite our communion servers to come forward and prepare these elements, and this is what we're gonna do. When you come forward to receive these elements, for those of you watching or listening online, as we prepare to take these and celebrate and remember, what God has done for us. My encouragement to you is to listen to the Lord this morning for what this means for you. How is he asking you to follow him by faith this morning? For some of you it means you cross over from death to life by receiving him as your Lord and Savior. For those of us who do know him, It means once again, you are choosing to follow him. That's what you're saying by coming forward and receiving this element. And for those of you who are still wrestling with belief, this is a safe place to do that. By you coming forward, you're saying, I'm gonna continue to do business with this and wrestle with whether I'm gonna believe or not. But make this mean something as you come and get these elements. Take them back to your chairs, and then when everyone's been served, we will celebrate and remember what he has done for us together. So come forward. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.